Welcome to Season 2 of Visiting's radio show, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. I'm Alan Nakagawa. Sean Starowitz is an artist, community advocate, and now serves the city of Bloomington, Indiana, as the Assistant Director for the Arts. I'm so grateful to Sean for taking the time out of his schedule to speak with us over the phone. You can learn more about uh, his work at www.sean-starowitz.com. Sean is spelled S-E-A-N hyphen S-T-A-R-O-W-I-T-Z. This interview was very candid, and I appreciate that. Uh, the audio quality of the phone call was a little rough, so I had to equalize it in a very extreme way. Although it's not as clean as I would like to have had it, uh, I hope you'll forgive me and appreciate the content. So to My name is Sean Starowitz, and I'm a community-based artist uh, that lives uh, and works in southern Indiana. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was born and bred in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and then uh, I did uh, about ten years uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. So I went to undergrad out there uh, at the uh, Kansas City Art Institute. Uh-huh. I studied uh, interdisciplinary art and graduated, and then hung out for a couple of years after, and did a bunch of projects, um, and then ended up and did a brief stint in eastern Kentucky, uh, working for Art of the Rural and the Rural Policy Research Institute. And then um, after that ended, it was like a one-year contract kind of uh, deal. I uh, got appointed to the city of Bloomington as the assistant director for the arts for the city. So I work um, now currently in the Department of Economic and Sustainable Development for the city of Bloomington, which is a lot of fun. So I just get to commission public art projects and work in economic development and do things from uh, little projects such as like bike share all the way up to affordable housing, but uh, using the lens as an artist, which is kind of an interesting uh, role to have. So that's that's a very like reader's digest version of what I've been up to. <laughs> <laughs> the position kind of keeps me pretty close to uh, Bloomington. So I, I mean, I have, oh. I, I do do some work in Indianapolis, but not as much as I'd like to. Um, I am doing more work in a town called Logansport, uh, which is a small uh, city in kind of northwest Indiana around uh, immigrants and immigrant kind of identity as the city kind of changes from, uh, you know, a 25% Hispanic population to a 35% Hispanic population. So I'm doing a, a lot of work with the Hispanic and Latino community around arts and culture and looking at cultural planning from their lens and bringing that to the table. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't honestly do a lot of work uh, in Indianapolis at the moment. Um, I'm more based in Bloomington uh, and uh, teach at IU, and that kind of keeps me a little little occupied here, <laughs> so to speak. Is the, um, are there similar issues? Yeah, so Bloomington's kind of a yeah, yeah. Bloomington's kind of an interesting uh, place to live and work uh, because of uh, it's a it's a company town, right? So it's a college town. So 
with that, there's a lot of external pressure uh, in the housing market, mainly through what we would call market rate housing for students. And so that has caused an inflation in the market itself. And so we're having issues of affordable housing. Uh, we're having wage stagnation, which is a really hard thing to overcome for any kind of community um, uh, right now because wages have been stagnant since the 70s. Um, and so being, being in a small kind of rural landscape, uh, Bloomington's about 80,000, and we've had the market kind of shift, right? Our economy has, has shifted. We used to be the center of... Um, wood manufacturing uh, around furniture uh, from the 1860s to about 1910 that dipped out and then limestone really took off, right? So the the fascia of uh, the Empire State Building came out of here about 20 miles south of where I live, right? So limestone was kind of the industry. That has kind of ebbed and flowed with uh, kind of market pressure. And then RCA was based here for a long time and employed about 10,000 people uh, in RCA and all of them have kind of gone away. So the industry has been really um, hit hard in a lot of different ways. So it's kind of an intense community to work in and live in uh, for a variety of reasons because of that, like, town and gown divide, right, that IU kind of um, kind of creates an external pressure on the community in this weird way. But at the same time, it's kind of like the life force of the community at the same time. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic to kind of walk into as an artist um, and be at the heart of all that. Uh, and be in a lot of those conversations. That's a project that I've been paired with through a state agency for a creative placemaking project, um, which we're doing uh, this this project called uh, Our Story, Our Culture, Our Logan Sport. And so the idea is to use photography as a way to um, rediscover and reimagine Logansport from people's perspectives. So we're rolling out a series of assignments that both uh, high schoolers can do to community members, to church groups, to neighborhood organizations, all that kind of stuff. And then the idea is we'll collect all those photos through a variety of different submission formats, whether they're digital or in person or through Instagram kind of you know, social media, online type stuff. And then we'll actually bring those into kind of the public art landscape through temporary uh, large-scale photographic installations. So there'll be portraits to, you know, document your front porch to, you know, kind of quirky assignments. It's, it's based off of a similar project that um, Carol Fletcher and Miranda July did in the early 2000s in the kind of early social practice years. Uh, called Learning to Love You More, which was like a series of assignments through kind of the early Internet. Mm -hmm. And so it's been inspired by that project, but as a way to kind of roll out in a larger, or not a larger, but in a more focused community context, and as a way to kind of um, help people see uh, through other people's lenses as they, uh, you know, because Logansport is this pretty interesting community where, uh, a lot of the industry, uh, a lot of meat packing, uh, has always had a, a, a strong, has been a strong immigrant community for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, in its history and in, in its lifeblood, it's always been a fairly diverse place. Um, but it's starting to really be, um, you know, growing in this in this population of eighteen thousand to being really um, uh, Hispanic uh, and Latino. Uh, kind of individual lens, right, and, and looking at storefronts and looking at as the downtown changes. 
And as you know, people are resistant to change, right? And people fear change. So the idea is, is how can art use, be used as a tool to um, be as a practice for being welcoming and also understanding that like diversity is part of the lifeblood of a place and that that's what makes um, places more resilient. And we need to be coming together more than ever right now, right, with the kind of uh, federal conversations that have been going on right now in our country. It's uh, really important for kind of artists to work in these kind of um, facets and work in these kind of communities, especially in like rural and um, suburban and uh, not so much urban context, but, um, you know, deploying artists to work in these kind of ways to inspire communities to think a little differently that, about themselves, but also kind of engage in their own kind of process uh, and their own kind of time frame. So. in context to the field and how it's shifted over the years. Uh, five years ago, I would have uh, answered it much differently, <laughs> right? Oh, how, and, so uh, let's, let's, let's do that. So five years ago, what, what would your answer be and what's your answer now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so bef- you know, before my, my work in uh, moving to Indiana, you know, I was kind of a self uh, self uh, identified kind of community-based artists where I was leading a lot of work. I was uh, an artist in residence at a bread bakery, and I was doing all these kind of byproduct projects where they were kind of auxiliary kind of programming. Uh, you know, the, 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 my 9 to 5 was working at the bakery, and that was helping subsidize my practice. So I was kind of doing all these things in terms of grant management and seeking funding and fundraising, but then also doing pro- program and project execution in a very large, you know, community-based context with each project, whether it was the Spread KC project, which is this micro-granting dinner series that we would do once a month that ended up moving to quarterly. Or, uh, for example, I did uh, cultural programming in collaboration with a laundromat owner. Uh, and what we would do is we would come up with creative programs uh, over the course of what it would take you to do your laundry. And so we would have you know, film screenings, art lectures, poetry readings, musical shows, uh, and it was all about activating this, this laundromat in this interesting kind of mixed-use neighborhood. And so um, for me at that time, you know, I was, uh, I would say that it's really hard to balance both of those and that, uh, you know, my school, while it prepared me um, to uh, be an interesting artist and, an, and a pretty decent grant writer, it didn't really teach me how to balance very well mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of learning how to say no and learning how to, and I think also, too, it comes with age and seasoning, right? I was a pretty young, hot-headed kid <laughs> right out of school. Okay. And so I thought I could, you know, and, and as artists, we're always maximal, right? We want to include everybody. We want it to be big. We want it to be everything. And as I've gotten older, and then also my experiences working in local in a local government context, is really thinking about artistic responsibility differently, and really thinking about process, and um, really, um, I mean, to be frank, uh, you know, not um, half-assing anything. I don't know if you can say that on the radio, but like you know, this idea of not, uh, you know seeing things through and not just being additive just because you can and just because the process allows that, but really being a little more, um, you know, thoughtful and considerate and, and, and in approach and in scale 
and in, in a sustainable way, right? Because I think the problem that we have in the field, whether it's social practice or the community-based work, is what is the resiliency for ourselves as artists? Or if we remove ourselves from the picture, what happens for the project? And for me, my ultimate level of like what I think is a successful project is if you remove the artist, the project still succeeds. Uh, because it's not about that. It's about the process within the community that it unfolds in. And so I think now, for me, balancing the hats that I do, I've, I've learned a lot in the sense of um, being in this position for about two years and, and, and really applying the lens of an artist in an everyday context uh, to a, a municipal bureaucratic job. And so I've learned a lot. And what I, you know, to get on a soapbox for just a moment is, that I think more artists need to work in a local government for like just a year or two or three mm-hmm. just to get that experience because I think it's really, really invaluable. And you, and you learn a lot about systems and systems management and then, you know, to be efficient and good stewards of what it means to work for, you know, 84,000 people every day and ask yourself what is the best policy for the greater good. And so being able to have that now applied to my studio practice has been fascinating and I'm still kind of in this growth spurt in the sense of my studio and what that means for me and and kind of exploring that with projects. I just wrapped up an exhibition in Tulsa around um, the promise of social inclusivity in the built environment. So it's really kind of questioning these images that we use uh, and development renderings, and really kind of questions the people that are used in them, which are, um, you know, individuals like, you know, the mother with a stroller or uh, the person drinking coffee. And it really kind of questions the promise of what the built environment means for us. And so, you know, thinking of, so my, my studio has always been this extension of, of me processing my nine to five, so to speak. And so as an artist, and then also as an administrator, you know, being able to balance those hats, I think they work hand in glove. Um, and I think, I think what I'm getting at to answer your question is that I think in this day and age, artists need to be both if they're going to be working in a community-driven context. Uh, and they have to kind of step outside of themselves and step outside of their artistic vision. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, that's what makes it important about working in a community context is knowing when to stay silent and listen to others. <laughs> and I think being an administrator has taught me that tremendously. Um, and, and I had that in my studio practice, you know, uh, from the get-go, but not as, as well vested as I have it now. And it might just come with age. I don't know, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the micro and the macro, right? So, so I think I think there's a couple different things, right? So, what do we mean by community, right? And I think that's one of those words that has become so uh, co-opted and manipulated and and used and just thrown out there that it almost means nothing, <laughs> right? And so, so I think I think for us to like step back, and I think one of the ways to look at it is like thinking about how artistic practice matters in a variety of different contexts because I I think community and context are so important. And, and to me, it's a spectrum that it floats on. And so thinking about the context and where these communities are coming from. So to be able, one, there's something to be really um, immensely 
and I'm immensely envious of, of my peers and colleagues who are eighth, eighth generation Eastern Kentucky, you know, been working uh, in a variety of uh, different ways in that community. And then I'm also jealous of those, like, you know, we get the, the, the envious kind of, uh, you know, artist mentality of residencies and moving through communities and doing all that kind of stuff, right? So thinking about that spectrum of, of practice and different ways to approach it, there's advantages and disadvantages, right? And so to be, be part of a place and to be rooted has some interesting uh, approaches and different kinds of outcomes that can't be achieved as an outsider, and what do we mean as an outsider? We can pick apart later, um, but not being like of that place at that moment, um, which at the same time, being an outsider to a community, you can see things with a fresh set of eyes, and you can also navigate relationships a little bit differently. And I try to strike that balance with projects that I either get invited to a community that I've never been a part of or never lived in. I try to do a continued uh, like not like in and out, kind of like a visiting uncle that comes to a, a town, you know, like visits his family. And so I, I try to think about it in context of like visiting space and visiting place through multiple phases of my life. Um, while I spent a lot of time in Kansas City, I also did a lot of work in St. Louis, and I still have friends and peers and relationships there that I check in on, right? And thinking about those projects and those spaces. Um, or thinking about Eastern Kentucky and my time there and, and, and continuing those relationships because they'll, they'll evolve and um, those places evolve. And I think to be able to kind of navigate that, there's, there's something to be said for that. And then at the same time, too, you know, my other aspect of my life is being 150% focused on Bloomington and being a huge advocate because I work for the city and I work for a really interesting mayor who's very um, active and wants to get a lot of things done. And I, I work with a great group of colleagues here. And, uh, you know, every other word out of my mouth is Bloomington this, Bloomington that. So it's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's an interesting balance to have both. Um, and to think about how you disseminate the information between the micro and the macro, whether it's rural, whether it's urban, whether it's suburban, um, and then also thinking about different dynamics and how some of the same community development issues that are affecting Bloomington are affecting Eastern Kentucky, are affecting St. Louis, and that are uh, totally uh, like affecting Kansas City. They're all kind of these same systemic things, right? You know, my I had a foundation professor at the Art Institute in Kansas City say this to me once, um, or said it to our whole class. I think it's the foundation year, and it kind of set off a lot of pressure. For, for, like, my artistic practice, which was, like, there's only two original ideas in the world, which was uh, fire and the wheel, so don't fret it too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nice. so I, I, I really kind of like that mentality of, like, thinking, like, okay, that pressure's off. Don't worry about that. Just, like, how do you, how do you reinvent those things for new communities and new identities and new, uh, new ways of interpretation? And so I, I hope I answered your macro and micro question there did i get to the surface of what you wanted <laughs> yeah that was beautiful who who was the professor who said that oh that was uh props yeah steve whitaker was his name and he taught foundation he still might be teaching he was amazing amazing kind of um you know your typical like now that i'm 10 15 years out of school i i, I adore this man but you know he wore black all the time silver fox hair you know and drove a black slot, sob, always wanted to be an architect-type guy, you know, kind of made large-scale public work. 
but was like a total romantic when it came to the art, you know? So what's the mayor of Bloomington's name? Uh, the mayor is Mayor Hamilton, John Hamilton. So he is, uh, he has a community development uh, background. So he, I think, I believe was uh, the first kind of president and co-founder of a community development financial institution, which are known as CDFIs. Uh, he founded one in the D.C. area uh, in the like, oh, okay. early 90s. Uh, and kind of is a back and forth kind of, you know, spent a lot of time in D.C. and then um, ended up back here in Bloomington and has done a lot of work. Um, and, you know, has, he's in his first term, um, very progressive, uh, very uh, great, you know, individual to work for, a lot of great ideas. And as a mayor, he kind of inversed, you know, what we think of local government in the sense of, you know, he tells us to um, he's not afraid to fail. And if we fail, we better learn from it. And, uh, you know, in government, that usually means you're losing your job <laughs> when you fail, right? Because <laughs> that means, like, losing your votes and losing your – but he's he's kind of, um, you know, undoubted by risk in this really great way, which is really freeing for, I think, people who are working in government who want to make change and want to make these mm-hmm. systems work better and to be able to, you know, have a mayor that's really supportive of, of thinking about new processes and what that looks like is, is a really great – to be in and and he's a great art supporter too uh which which helps (laughs) you know which really helps we're gonna have uh so that we hosted um richard ross who um is a photographer that did the juvenile injustice series which was uh looking at mass incarceration of juveniles uh, across the united states and we hosted uh, a 50 image uh exhibition in our city hall after we passed a local public safety tax to ensure to our citizens that we wouldn't be doing what was being done in these photographs and to make sure, you know, to kind of reveal to the community. Now, it, it wasn't timed that way, so to speak, but, uh, you know, we brought Richard out and had a, a, you know, a variety of conversations with elected officials, to the mayor, to judges, uh, and we actually don't have juvenile um, incarceration facilities here. We do juvenile services, and so we're a pretty progressive community in that sense. Um, which is really great, but it's just interesting. I get to like live and work in a place where I get to curate somebody like Richard Roth indoor city hall <laughs> and to be able to bring, you know, bring those kind of conversations to the table where I think a lot of people, when I first uh, took this job, uh, I think a lot of my, my peers and my studio mates and, and people that have known my work and have been supportive of my work over a long time were like, you really going to, you really going to give it up for a desk job, huh? <laughs> and so, I think, you know, by able to be able to work for this really great um, mayor and, and work for this great city, I get to see those kind of uh, interesting creative differences I can bring to the table, like viewing Richard Ross. Uh, a lot of institutions have partnered with Creative Time for this Pledge of Allegiance project which is uh, Creative Time commissioned 13 artists to do 13 different flags over the past year uh, to create pledges to different kinds of ideas or concepts. And so we we are technically the only city that's participating in that program officially as a city. So we fly the flags, and right now we have Vicky Muniz's Diaspora Cloud, uh, which is a really interesting project. 
around, you know, communities that are um, being divided through whether geographic or physical or non-physical barriers are coming together, right, through this idea of a cloud. And so we're flying that at three different locations in the city for our citizens to participate in. So that, to me, is really interesting to blur the lines between civic and the arts. And our mayor is, like, totally into that. So I, I consider myself pretty lucky in that sense. So, for instance, uh, there's there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about. Let's see. So there's the flag. Um, going back to the mayor. So one of the difficulties I've noticed in Los Angeles, for instance, is you can only be a mayor for so many years, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, so if you have a program and they initiate it and it's fantastic, often it's really hard to continue that program. Yeah. Uh, if it's not done correctly with a new mayor. And uh, so that's kind of hard. Do you ever experience that sort of thing in uh, Bloomington? Uh, yeah. So that, yeah. So that's the, that's the challenge. And I think that's the frustration of uh, local government or even state government, right? Is that you're at the whim of an elected official that could come in and could totally wipe out a great program. Um, so I, I've been brought in, uh, I was brought in six months into a new administration. So, and my predecessor, the, 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 uh, Maya Michelson, who's now at the state, who I work really closely with, she's the deputy director of our state arts agency, uh, left about nine months before I got uh, to Bloomington. And so, I mean, uh, in terms of art, we've continued a lot of the programs that Maya initiated um, because they're great and they're fantastic and there's no reason to get rid of them. Um, there are certain projects that have been shifted under the administration I work for, but I think for the better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the fear of, like, if uh, for whatever reason the mayor I work for doesn't get reelected or uh, maybe, you know, is elected and, uh, you know, wants to reshuffle the budget, that wouldn't, I guess, that's kind of a scenario that I don't think would ever happen here in Bloomington. But you never know, right? But, yeah, if there's a new mayor that comes in, I could be out and all the programs I'm working on could be out. But... I think that's where the voice of um, where the government has failed the public, the public has failed the government in that sense, which is advocating for those programs and those projects. So as much as we, we like think of city administrations should continue these programs, we need to remind our elected officials why they matter. And I think that's where we as citizens have failed government um, in, in, in the local sense, not necessarily in the federal or the state sense. But, you know, reminding um, from a citizen perspective, going to the council and uh, reminding these elected officials and reminding mayors um, why these programs matter is, is pretty important. And there's a lot of issues with that, too, right? The council meetings can go on forever. Or maybe if you're working in the service industry and, and also have, you know, one of those dual cap moments of your life where you're an artist and you're working at a, as a coffee barista, going to city council doesn't sound too sexy. So, I mean, there's a whole reinvention of what I think we need to think about in context of citizen participatory government, both on both sides, both from a governmental lens, but also from a citizen lens. And so I, I would say that, like, the way to circumvent that is really having an active uh, base to hold these elected officials and hold these programs accountable and really... Um, advocate for the necessity and the importance of them, regardless of political ties.
it's an extremely difficult uh, thing that I've always wrestled with with my work. Um, and you'll notice, I think, on my website and some of my other stuff is like when I work with teens, you only see the back of their heads because I'm not going right. to do that, right? You know, and and I think I think there's a there's so there's a great documentary that um, I show in every class I teach called um, Stranger with a Camera. And it's by Elizabeth Barrett, who I had the pleasure of um, hanging out with and. And sl- slightly working with when I was living down in eastern Kentucky. And it's a film about um, uh, Elizabeth's kind of take on uh, the ro- uh, what happened in eastern Kentucky in 1976, where a photographer was murdered for a photo. And herself, you know, coming in, coming from this community and now being behind the camera and understanding both realities of how eastern Kentucky was exploited through the lens and then also becoming somebody who tells stories through a lens, right? And it's just this really powerful film that I think wrestles with this eternal question that we debate in the social practice and the community development field, which is how do you have social change without social exploitation? And at what cost? Like, what, what, are those, what, what are we really getting at here? And so I think to think about those struggles and those challenges and, and to ask those tough questions of ourselves Especially, um, and to go back to this like artist administrator moment too, to ask these tough questions about uh, ethics and responsibility and, and our kind of code of conduct as artists as we work in these places, I think is really important. That concludes another episode of Visiting. Thanks to Sean Starowitz for taking the time to speak with us. A shout out to Layla Tamari of Art Place for her support in making this interview happen. Again, you can learn more about Sean's work at www.sean-starowitz.com. You can find more episodes of Visiting's radio show at SoundCloud, iTunes, dublab.com, and our website, visitings.net. If you visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes, please leave a comment so more people can learn about our show. Thanks, as always, to Echo Park Film Center and Dub Lab for their support. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings.